Chapter twenty seven of Framley Parsonage by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom. Chapter twenty seven South Audley Street. The Duke of Omnium had notified to Mr. Fothergill his wish that some arrangement should be made about the Caldicott's mortgages, and Mr. Fothergill had understood what the Duke meant as well as though his instructions had been written down with all a lawyer's verbosity the duke's meaning was this that caldicott's was to be swept up and garnered and made part and parcel of the gatherum property it had seemed to the duke that that affair between his friend and miss dunstable was hanging fire and therefore it would be well that caldicott's should be swept up and garnered and moreover tidings had come into the western division of the county that young frank gresham of boxall hill was in treaty with the government for the purchase of all that crown property called the chase of caldicott's it had been offered to the duke but the duke had given no definite answer had he got his money back from mr sowerby he could have forestalled mr gresham but now that did not seem to be probable and his grace was resolved that either the one property or the other should be duly garnered therefore mr fothergill went up to town and therefore mr sowerby was most unwillingly compelled to have a business interview with mr fothergill in the meantime since last we saw him mr sowerby had learnt from his sister the answer which miss dunstable had given to his proposition and knew that he had no further hope in that direction there was no further hope thence of absolute deliverance but there had been a tender of money services to give mr sowerby his due he had at once declared that it would be quite out of the question that he should now receive any assistance of that sort from miss dunstable but his sister had explained to him that it would be a mere business transaction that miss dunstable would receive her interest and that if she would be content with four per cent whereas the duke received five and other creditors six seven eight ten and heaven only knows how much more it might be well for all parties he himself understood as well as fothergill had done what was the meaning of the duke's message caldicott's was to be gathered up and garnered as had been done with so many another fair property lying in those regions it was to be swallowed whole and the master was to walk out from his old family hall to leave the old woods that he loved to give up utterly to another the parks the paddocks and pleasant places which he had known from his earliest infancy and owned from his earliest manhood there can be nothing more bitter to a man than such a surrender what compared to this can be the loss of wealth to one who has himself made it and brought it together but has never actually seen it with his bodily eyes 
such wealth has come by one chance and goes by another the loss of it is part of the game which the man is playing and if he cannot lose as well as win he is a poor weak cowardly creature such men as a rule do know how to bear a mind fairly equal to adversity but to have squandered the acres which have descended from generation to generation to be the member of one's family that has ruined that family to have swallowed up in one's own moor all that should have graced one's children and one's grandchildren it seems to me that the misfortunes of this world can hardly go beyond that mr sowerby in spite of his recklessness and that daredevil gaiety which he knew so well how to wear and use felt all this as keenly as any man could feel it it had been absolutely his own fault the acres had come to him all his own and now before his death every one of them would have gone bodily into that greedy moor the duke had bought up nearly all the debts which had been secured upon the property and now could make a clean sweep of it sarby when he received that message from mr fothergill knew well that this was intended and he knew well also that when once he should cease to be mr sowerby of caldicott's he need never again hope to be returned as member for west barsetshire this world would for him be all over and what must such a man feel when he reflects that this world is for him all over on the morning in question he went to his appointment still bearing a cheerful countenance mr fothergill when in town on such business as this always had a room at his service in the house of messrs gumption and gageby the duke's london law agents and it was thither that mr sowerby had been summoned the house of business of messrs gumption and gageby was in south audley street and it may be said that there was no spot on the whole earth which mr sowerby so hated as he did the gloomy dingy back sitting-room upstairs in that house he had been there very often but had never been there without annoyance it was a horrid torture-chamber kept for such dread purposes as these and no doubt had been furnished and papered and curtained with the express object of finally breaking down the spirits of such poor country gentlemen as chanced to be involved everything was of a brown crimson of a crimson that had become brown sunlight real genial light of the sun never made its way there and no amount of candles could illumine the gloom of that brownness the windows were never washed the ceiling was of a dark brown the old turkey carpet was thick with dust and brown withal the ungainly office table in the middle of the room had been covered with black leather but that was now brown there was a bookcase full of dingy brown law books in a recess on one side of the fireplace but no one had touched them for years and over the chimney-piece hung some old legal pedigree table black with soot 
such was the room which mr fothergill always used in the business-house of messrs gumption and gageby in south audley street near to park lane i once heard this room spoken of by an old friend of mine one mr gresham of greshamsbury the father of frank gresham who was now about to purchase that part of the chase of caldicott's which belonged to the crown he also had had evil days though now happily they were past and gone and he too had sat in that room and listened to the voice of men who were powerful over his property and intended to use that power the idea which he left on my mind was much the same as that which i had entertained when a boy of a certain room in the castle of udolpho there was a chair in that udolpho room in which those who sat were dragged out limb by limb the head one way and the legs another the fingers were dragged off from the hands and the teeth out from the jaws and the hair off the head and the flesh from the bones and the joints from their sockets till there was nothing left but a lifeless trunk seated in the chair mr gresham as he told me always sat in the same seat and the tortures he suffered when so seated the dislocations of his property which he was forced to discuss the operations on his very self which he was forced to witness made me regard that room as worse than the chamber of udolpho he luckily a rare instance of good fortune had lived to see all his bones and joints put together again and flourishing soundly but he never could speak of the room without horror no consideration on earth he once said to me very solemnly i say none should make me again enter that room and indeed this feeling was so strong with him that from the day when his affairs took a turn he would never even walk down south audley street on the morning in question into this torture chamber mr sowerby went and there after some two or three minutes he was joined by mr fothergill mr fothergill was in one respect like to his friend sowerby he enacted two altogether different persons on occasions which were altogether different generally speaking with the world at large he was a jolly rollicking popular man fond of eating and drinking known to be devoted to the duke's interests and supposed to be somewhat unscrupulous or at any rate hard when they were concerned but in other respects a good-natured fellow and there was a report about that he had once lent somebody money without charging him interest or taking security on the present occasion sowerby saw at a glance that he had come thither with all the aptitudes and appurtenances of his business about him he walked into the room with a short quick step there was no smile on his face as he shook hands with his old friend he brought with him a box laden with papers and parchments and he had not been a minute in the room before he was seated in one of the old dingy chairs how long have you been in town fothergill said sowerby still standing with his back against the chimney 
he had resolved on only one thing that nothing should induce him to touch look at or listen to any of those papers he knew well enough that no good would come of that he also had his own lawyer to see that he was pilfered according to rule how long since the day before yesterday i never was so busy in my life the duke as usual wants to have everything done at once if he wants to have all that i owe him paid at once he is like to be out in his reckoning ah well i'm glad you are ready to come quickly to business because it's always best won't you come and sit down here no thank you i'll stand but we shall have to go through these figures you know not a figure fothergill what good would it do none to me and none to you either as i take it if there is anything wrong potter's fellows will find it out what is it the duke wants well to tell the truth he wants his money in one sense and that the main sense he has got it he gets his interest regularly does not he pretty well for that seeing how times are but sowerby that's nonsense you understand the duke as well as i do and you know very well what he wants he has given you time and if you had taken any steps towards getting the money you might have saved the property a hundred and eighty thousand pounds what steps could i take to get that fly a bill and let tother have it to get cash on it in the city we hoped you were going to marry that's all off then i don't think you can blame the duke for looking for his own it does not suit him to have so large a sum standing out any longer you see he wants land and will have it had you paid off what you owed him he would have purchased the crown property and now it seems young gresham has bid against him and is to have it this has riled him and i may as well tell you fairly that he is determined to have either money or marbles you mean that i am to be dispossessed well yes if you choose to call it so my instructions are to foreclose at once then i must say the duke is treating me most uncommonly ill well sowerby i can't see it i can though he has his money like clockwork and he has bought up these debts from persons who would have never disturbed me as long as they got their interest haven't you had the seat the seat and is it expected that i am to pay for that i don't see that any one is asking you to pay for it you are like a great many other people that i know you want to eat your cake and have it you have been eating it for the last twenty years and now you think yourself very ill-used because the duke wants to have his turn i shall think myself very ill-used if he sells me out 
worse than ill-used i do not want to use strong language but it will be more than ill-usage i can hardly believe that he really means to treat me in that way it is very hard that he should want his own money it is not his money that he wants it is my property and has he not paid for it have you not had the price of your property now sowerby it is of no use for you to be angry you have known for the last three years what was coming on you as well as i did why should the duke lend you money without an object of course he has his own views but i do say this he has not hurried you and had you been able to do anything to save the place you might have done it you have had time enough to look about you sowerby still stood in the place in which he had first fixed himself and now for a while he remained silent his face was very stern and there was in his countenance none of those winning looks which often told so powerfully with his young friends which had caught lord lufton and had charmed mark robarts the world was going against him and things around him were coming to an end he was beginning to perceive that he had in truth eaten his cake and that there was now little left for him to do unless he chose to blow out his brains he had said to lord lufton that a man's back should be broad enough for any burden with which he himself might load it could he now boast that his back was broad enough and strong enough for this burden but he had even then at that bitter moment a strong remembrance that it behoved him still to be a man his final ruin was coming on him and he would soon be swept away out of the knowledge and memory of those with whom he had lived but nevertheless he would bear himself well to the last it was true that he had made his own bed and he understood the justice which required him to lie upon it during all this time fothergill occupied himself with the papers he continued to turn over one sheet after another as though he were deeply engaged in money considerations and calculations but in truth during all that time he did not read a word there was nothing there for him to read the reading and the writing and the arithmetic in such matters are done by underlings not by such big men as mr fothergill his business was to tell sowerby that he was to go all those records there were of very little use the duke had the power sowerby knew that the duke had the power and fothergill's business was to explain that the duke meant to exercise his power he was used to the work and went on turning over the papers and pretending to read them as though his doing so were of the greatest moment i shall see the duke myself mr sowerby said at last and there was something almost dreadful in the sound of his voice you know that the duke won't see you on a matter of this kind he never speaks to any one about money you know that as well as i do by dash 
but he shall speak to me. Never speak to any one about money. Why is he ashamed to speak of it when he loves it so dearly? He shall see me. I have nothing further to say, Sowerby. Of course I shan't ask his grace to see you, and if you force your way in on him, you know what will happen. It won't be my doing if he is set against you. Nothing that you say to me in that way, nothing that anybody ever says, goes beyond myself. I shall manage the matter through my own lawyer, said Sowerby, and then he took his hat, and without uttering another word, left the room. We know not what may be the nature of that eternal punishment to which those will be doomed who shall be judged to have been evil at the last, but methinks that no more terrible torment can be devised than the memory of self-imposed ruin. What wretchedness can exceed that of remembering from day to day that the race has been all run and has been altogether lost? that the last chance has gone, and has gone in vain, that the end has come, and with it disgrace, contempt, and self-scorn, disgrace that never can be redeemed, contempt that never can be removed, and self-scorn that will eat into one's vitals for ever. Mr. Sowerby was now fifty. He had enjoyed his chances in life, and, as he walked back up South Audney Street, he could not but think of the uses he had made of them. He had fallen into the possession of a fine property on the attainment of his manhood. He had been endowed with more than average gifts of intellect. Never failing health had been given to him and a vision fairly clear in discerning good from evil. And now to what a pass had he brought himself! And that man Fothergill had put all this before him in so terribly clear a light. Now that the day for his final demolishment had arrived, the necessity that he should be demolished, finished away at once, out of sight and out of mind, had not been softened, or, as it were, half-hidden, by any ambiguous phrase. You have had your cake and eaten it, eaten it greedily. Is not that sufficient for you? Would you eat your cake twice? Would you have a succession of cakes? No, my friend, there is no succession of these cakes for those who eat them greedily. Your proposition is not a fair one, and we who have the whip-hand of you will not listen to it. Be good enough to vanish. Permit yourself to be swept quietly into the dunghill. All that there was about you of value has departed from you, and allow me to say that you are now rubbish." and then the ruthless besom comes with irresistible rush, and the rubbish is swept into the pit, there to be hidden for ever from the sight. And the pity of it is this, that a man, if he will only restrain his greed, may eat his cake and yet have it, eh, and in so doing will have twice more the flavour of the cake, 
than he who with gourmandizing more will devour his dainty all at once cakes in this world will grow by being fed on if only the feeder be not too insatiate on all which wisdom mr sowerby pondered with sad heart and very melancholy mind as he walked away from the premises of messrs gumption and gageby his intention had been to go down to the house after leaving mr fothergill but the prospect of immediate ruin had been too much for him and he knew that he was not fit to be seen at once among the haunts of men and he had intended also to go down to barchester early on the following morning only for a few hours that he might make further arrangements respecting that bill which robarts had accepted for him that bill the second one had now become due and mr tozer had been with him now it ain't no use in life mr sowerby tozer had said i ain't got the paper myself nor didn't hold it not two hours it went away through tom tozer you knows that mr sowerby as well as i do now whenever tozer mr sowerby's tozer spoke of tom tozer mr sowerby knew that seven devils were being evoked each worse than the first devil mr sowerby did feel something like sincere regard or rather love for that poor parson whom he had inveigled into mischief and would fain save him if it were possible from the tozer fang mr forrest of the barchester bank would probably take up that last five hundred pound bill on behalf of mr robarts only it would be needful that he sowerby should run down and see that this was properly done as to the other bill the former and lesser one as to that mr tozer would probably be quiet for a while such had been sowerby's programme for these two days but now what further possibility was there now that he should care for robarts or any other human being he that was to be swept at once into the dung-heap in this frame of mind he walked up south audley street and crossed one side of grosvenor square and went almost mechanically into green street at the farther end of green street near to park lane lived mr and mrs harold smith End of chapter 27 Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom